Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways are to leave a five-star review and subscribe on your favorite platform. And follow us on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the 145th week of the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. We're man down tonight, but we still have a great show in store for you. Most of the main crews here, myself, Lucas, the host, alongside Aiden, Bart, and Jared. We're going to jump right in with some news we missed. We're going to start off with some tennis news. The GOAT, Serena Williams, is officially retired. Uh, she lost her third round U.S. Open matchup in what was genuinely one of the most captivating sporting events I feel like I've ever watched. I don't know if anybody else watched it here. It was so cool. I'll just say that. Yeah, it really was. Especially how in the last game, like, she kept fighting off match point. And you were like, is she going <laughs> to... How long can we go for? Uh, but, but yeah, a, a great end to a great career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, transitioning from a great career to a not-so-great career, Mitch Trubisky has been named the Pittsburgh Steelers starting quarterback, beating out Kenny Pickett for the job. <laughs> Any thoughts on it? Hey, he's a playoff quarterback. It's not a bad career. <laughs> By any means. heartbreaking is what it is. Eh, we'll see. We, like, <laughs> we want Kenny. <laughs> I said it before, I'll say it again. Yeah, there were so many good memes that were like, Kenny Pickett when he hears he doesn't get the starting job, and it's like the Arthur meme, except the hands had been shrunk like three sizes. <laughs> like the fist. So, I thought that was a good bit. Um, speaking of other quarterbacks, Russell Wilson. Got a big extension from the Denver Broncos. Five years, $245 million. So they're really just going all in on Russ. Probably with good reason. Letting them cook. Love to see it. Yeah. Go Nation, let's ride. <laughs> let's ride. <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of a better quarterback room than that, uh, the Eagles claimed Ian Book uh, off waivers after he was cut by the Saints. Uh, they also have Jalen Hurts and Gardner Minshew on their roster. Jared put this in the the notes. Is this the most likable quarterback room in the NFL of Jalen Hurts, Gardner Minshew, and Ian Book? Yes. Other than the Cowboys, last time I checked, Dak was the only quarterback on the roster. I'm not sure if we'll fix that (laughs) since, but unlike the day of cuts, Dak was the only quarterback. I hope so. Because he never gets Actually, I don't hope so. so. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. He'll turn out okay. Oh. Well, speaking of the Eagles, too, they traded, they traded wide receiver Jalen Rigor to the Vikings for a fourth and a seventh rounder. Bart, thoughts as the resident Vikings fan? Extremely lukewarm. Really not sure who's to say. Uh, nothing to write home about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, like, fine from my experience from him being on the Eagles. He also gets a lot of unnecessary hate, I think, but he wasn't great either. So, you know, is what it is. Um, with that, we're going to transition into college football, which will take up a majority of the show. We're going to start again with a few news we missed items before getting into our main segment. We'll start by just saying Texas, Florida State, USC, and Miami are all back. They all won their first games of the season, and nothing can go wrong from here. Uh, someone that might also be truly back in their form, at least from last year, is Georgia, who destroyed Oregon 49-3. to Um... Pretty crazy. 
Bo Nix uh, continues his losing streaks against Georgia, first at Auburn and now as a quarterback of Oregon. And Oregon, though, somehow still was ranked 26th in the AP poll this week, which does not make any sense to me. They should not have gotten a single vote. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Georgia's yeah. going to smack a lot of teams, so That's yeah. true. Yeah. But really, what if, if they were in the SEC? Week, yeah. If they were in the SEC, they'd be ranked 15th right now. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, though, what an awful week for the Pac-12. Just, yeah, not not a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Utah no. and Oregon. Just oof. USC at least. No. We'll see. Yeah, but they played Rice, so and also their temporary yeah. yes, um, mm-hmm. temporary Pac-12. So I guess it doesn't matter True. all that much. Did someone check on UCLA? No. I didn't check them. <laughs> I'm looking at the football saw... team play. <laughs> I beat Bowling Green. So, you know. Well, speaking of a conference that did do really well, the SEC, only one team lost in their opening week. Um, That team was Brian Kelly's LSU Tigers, who uh, lost 24-23 to to Florida State uh, with their kicker missing an extra point as time expired. It was blocked. He didn't miss it. Okay, blocked still. Don't blame the kicker this time. Blame the, the no, resources Brian. that they apparently have at LSU that Notre Dame doesn't have. Exactly. Yeah. All I'm saying is that Notre Dame's first game was against Florida State last year, and they won. LSU's first game was against Florida State this year, and they lost. Yeah. And it was a dominant effort last year, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, the, mo- the most dominant effort I've ever seen. You're telling me that maybe a coach in his first season at a new program might not have the same success? In this week one game, yeah. I, yes, uh, <laughs> I don't really care too much for the Brian Kelly Notre Dame hate of hate train of hate. <laughs> oh, but it's so fun. It's just me. I don't care. Yeah, in sporting, in like it's sporting so fun. fun, I think yeah. it's pretty fun. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it's like find a new slant, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the meme is. Anyway. anyway, well, speaking of Notre Dame, we're gonna jump into our first segment of the week. Um... Despite leading late, late into the leading late into the third quarter, Notre Dame ultimately fell to Ohio State twenty-one to ten in their opening matchup of the season. Unfortunate for us Fighting Irish fans. Fortunate, I guess, for Wyatt, who's an Ohio State fan, but he's not on the podcast, so we're just going to commiserate this week. Uh, so we'll start broadly. Aiden, what were your takeaways from Notre Dame's performance in this game? Yeah, to start with the good, I think there was a fair amount of good. The defense generally until the fourth quarter looked pretty good. The defensive line consistently created pressure. They stalled the run game until the fourth quarter. And they generally prevented big plays from CJ Stroud. He could not really figure out how to attack the secondary. He looked meh for a you know, the Heisman favorite to some degree. He averaged six point six mm-hmm. yards per pass compared to ten point one last year. And, you know, until he blitzed both safeties late in the third quarter let up that touchdown he was he was struggling a bit um so i was optimistic i was happy to see that at least and holding ohio state to 21 points is a win given that the the lowest they scored last year was 26 so pretty good on that front they looked prepared that's the main thing and i think that's the thing that worries fans in the past is is that notre dame has not looked prepared for big games against you know big time offenses and they looked prepared in this case, which is progress on that front. The the less good stuff, the offense was generally lethargic. You know, Buckner actually looked fine 
you know, <laughs> to have your first start in Columbus, mm-hmm. it's not easy. He generally looked composed. It was better than I expected. That is for sure because <laughs> I was I was not I was worried about Buckner heading in, and his decision making was mm-hmm. pretty unproblematic. There were a couple exciting big plays, but in general, it was kind of just you know, um, meh. He was largely let down by the O line to some degree. You know, they they didn't do any favors in the run game. Ohio State's run defense was they were putting everyone in the box and Notre Dame was not Tommy Reese was not calling anything to to try to go downfield to beat that which is I'm sure uh, you know it's possible that's reasonable given what they've seen from Buckner in camp but it was frustrating to watch as a fan and it there was really no other way that they were going to score at a certain point because the run game just really wasn't getting anywhere and the receivers were not really getting open it's hard to tell if that's a receiving problem or a you know larger they didn't have enough time or whatnot problem, but the the receivers did not look great. So overall, you know, defense looked good. Offense looked not great. We'll see how they progress over the course of the season. I don't think I was expecting the offense to look great. So I don't think that's something that I was, I wasn't expecting them to really let it fly with Buckner or anything like that, but it was still a bit disappointing given that Tommy Reese's offensive strategy seemed to be to just kill the clock and pray that the game stayed 10-7. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm banging my fist on the table right now. We need to play Tobias Merriweather. The, apparently the reason he went... I'm serious. No, every... If you look, a lot of Irish publications are saying this too right now. Is Like our wide receiver core just... We need, we need to see what we have when we have a highly touted prospect. Why isn't he playing? Marcus Freeman said mm-hmm. it's because apparently he was like... Had some nagging injuries in camp or something, but... He needs to be playing immediately. We only had one receiver with more than one reception, which you can probably guess who it was is Michael Mayer. <laughs> but you can't you can't throw every pass to Michael Mayer and expect that to work. As good as he is, it's just not going to work. And we just need to figure out how to get the ball out to the perimeter. Also, special teams oh. was pretty atrocious, yep. or I should say, kickoff return was atrocious. Mm-hmm. Like getting, so especially the very first play of the game, I was like, wow, this is going to be a long night. Luckily, that was not. <laughs> um, a good like foreshadowing of what was going to happen, but that was pretty that was pretty scary. Punter punting we got a lot better towards the end of the game. Um started to flip the field a little bit, so that was good. I think the breakdown of like how the receiving broke down was really interesting too. Cause if you look at the actual like the wide receivers that caught passes, uh Styles, Lindsay, Salerno, and Bauman, they all averaged their all of their catches were for twenty yards or longer. But then Mayer averaged 6.4 yards per reception. So it just even seemed like it was either like, okay, sort of like short passes to Mayer or just try and get it deep with the receivers on the outside. And it just like didn't work as a strategy. Like I'm with Aiden that I think Buckner was like fine, but it just like the offense just felt kind of hapless for the most part. And not that like I feel like Ohio State is known for having a great defense either. So I think that it's like, the thing that lost our name the game the game was more so the fact that their offense was just so lackluster and then there were just some like killer moments too like the the offensive pass interference when they were driving after Ohio State went up uh, 14 to 10 cuz they, they were putting together a nice drive there i think they punched their way into Ohio State territory it looked like there was a chance that Notre Dame could like go and retake the lead and it would have been a totally different game but the offensive pass interference 
just killed them there. So it came down to just like I feel like little mistakes that cost them that offensive pass interference call, the blitzing the both safeties on the Ohio State touchdown that let them go up 14-10. And you can just break it down to those moments because in a lot of ways, like especially on defense, was a pretty flawless game, um, or at least as good as you can expect against an Ohio State team that that's that's that good. Yeah, I think our major issue though is yes, there were small small mistakes. But our major issue is if we can't run the ball, you can't do anything. If you look back at when our last big win since I've been a fan against Clemson, we rushed for 208 yards that game. And that's I think that's the reason we won that game is because we could control the line of scrimmage. On the opposite side, we also held Clemson to 34 rushing yards. But if you're going to run the ball 30 times and only get 76 yards, like that's atrocious. And we had all our offensive linemen returning. Yes, I know Jared, Patter- Jared Patterson didn't play in this game. But we were supposed to have four other starters on the line, and we got just absolutely knocked around on the offensive line. That was pretty discouraging, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing no one has mentioned yet that I always feels like a cop out, but like recruiting. To, to Lucas's point about how there were small mistakes, like to beat a team like Ohio State as Notre Dame, you basically have to play a perfect game. Like mm-hmm. you even have to get lucky, like Oregon did last year with mm-hmm. turnovers. This was an interesting game because there were none, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Ohio State has 14 five stars, Notre Dame has two. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you, you think about like our receivers struggling so much, yeah, because we, we are playing like scrubs at the receiver position. We, mm-hmm. we had like, you know, some soft spots <laughs> defensively because we just don't have the same talent to keep up with them. So. Mm-hmm. The fact I, I consider the fact that they were winning ten seven for you know late in the game to be a, a W actually. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that that seems to be like we've always looked though like Georgia if I think if we look back to Georgia yeah, well, in twenty eighteen. Huh? They're not going to beat Georgia with this recruiting. No, but back in twenty eighteen yeah. it looked the same where our our defense played pretty well but our offense didn't do anything. Those sorts of games we've had those games before. This, I think, though, was more encouraging than a lot of yeah. games against big teams have been in the past. I'll say, aside from the Georgia games, which are both relatively close, but that was before Georgia was, like, I think the, like, the juggernaut, that's the word I'm looking for, that they are now. Like, that was sort of, like, early Kirby Smart days. Like, they hadn't really assembled the great recruiting classes, or they were at least young at that point. But this is better than, like, the Clemson games where they lost the Alabama games. Like, this feels like a comparable game. We'll see how the year plays out where it's, like, who knows how good Ohio State's going to be? Like it could be like a Texas situation from 2016, where it's like, oh, this looks like a, like a good close loss against a good team, and then the other team just ends up being awful. Yeah. And Notre Dame ends up being awful, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Ohio State's going to be very good this year. But this was more encouraging than like Alabama games. I feel like where it's like they're not just down by like 14 immediately. Like they stayed in the game for the majority of the game, and that at least I think is encouraging. Like, it seemed like they were better prepared for what was coming for them. And I think, I forget who alluded to that earlier, but it's like, I think the game plan was better this time because they knew how Ohio State was going to attack and they can combat that. Versus when I feel like it's Alabama, it's just they're overwhelmed and they just can't stop anything. And some of that is a talent difference, but I think some of it is also planning to some extent. Because the defense did not look overmatched until the end to me, like, at all. No. Mm -hmm. And that was... They were tired kind of surprising exactly they were tired and they had pretty good reason mm-hmm. to be tired because uh, mm-hmm. it's not like the offense was putting together long drives and so that to me was was big because as bart alluded to yeah they have a ohio state's offensive talent is absurd and so the fact that they did not seem overmatched for the you know majority of that game is yeah makes me optimistic 
Before we get into the next question, there's one narrative that really annoys me when people bring this up. Um, is that big game losses dry up the recruiting pool? Because it's not true at all. Like USC, LSU, Florida State, A&M are not penalized at all after losing big games. If, if you look at LSU right now, who's been terrible the last uh, since their championship, right? They've mm-hmm. had a top 10 recruiting class every, every year since, except for 2022 when Coach O got fired. Their 2023 class is in the top 10. Their 2024 class is third right now. Florida State is second. Notre Dame's first. Got to mention that too. But the idea that I know a lot of people like to say, well, if you don't start winning the big games when recruits are in attendance, recruits aren't going to want to play there. But that's just not borne out in the the recruiting rankings at all. The big brands are still always going to pull in the recruits. That's just one thing I wanted to get out there because it was annoying. I I think it's annoying when people bring that Mm -hmm. up. Yes, but like, are they going to pull an Alabama level of recruits? Like, there's a difference between having a top ten class and a Georgia top did. 10 class. I, what did Georgia do before 2017? They've been pulling in top top classes since Kirby Smart got there. That's fair, but I think I mean it's obviously so situational. Though, like Georgia's in the SEC, it's a warm weather. Notre school. Dame's Notre it's Dame like, though. <laughs> we're we're what is Notre <laughs> like. I don't know. I don't know if the Notre Dame brand necessarily carries the weight that it used to. It does. It 100 percent does. Uh, I think it's it's going to be on Freeman to spin it. Like, yeah. You see how close we came to beating OSU. Like, you can be the guy that helps take us over the top, and that might resonate yeah. with people. Mm-hmm. But it, you, mm-hmm. you, I mean, like, yeah, I agree with Lucas. Like, you can't claim like come to Notre Dame because we're going to win a whole lot of games. Like, the <laughs> but you games. will. <laughs> we're, you're going to win not, 40 games you probably over the course of four years. But yeah, uh, not yeah. the big ones necessarily. You'll beat up on ranked teams, but you're not going to win the big ones. Like, what's in the last. What's USC's recruiting pitch right now? It's Lincoln Riley in LA. It's in a big (laughs) ranch. Why can't Freeman have that, too? Freeman has that gravitas. Freeman's been doing pretty well, so I'm not, you know. Uh, Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. He's got energy, he's got charisma. I think there's something behind that. Clean fade. And it seems like, yeah, I would much rather play for Freeman than Brian Kelly. And it seems like that's a little bit reflected, but. Well, and here's the thing. I think that, like, I think for, like the recruiting boost is not driven by the Notre Dame brand or anything. It's I think it's, like, basically that Marcus Freeman is, like, an incredibly likable person who can, like, convince people to play for him. Like, I don't think it's much more than that. You know, like, if it were just the same, brand. Same with, LSU, games. same with LSU having the third-ranked class. It's because people want to play for Brian Kelly. <laughs> or Mike Norvell at Florida State with the number two class. Mm. Well, no, it just I doesn't think that's work. It doesn't fun- work, man. No, 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 no. Jared, Jared. The big brand. They're fundamentally the big brand different. We'll, we'll pull in the recruiting but class. Notre Dame didn't have these top three recruiting classes until Marcus Freeman came. That's the difference. What, were, what was Brian Kelly's highest ranked recruiting class? About fifth, maybe. I don't like know. Eight, fifth, or, yeah. And most I, years I they were like ten to. It was maybe eighth, I think. I think it was eighth. 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 That seems low. Yeah. 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 And so it's the same thing. It's like it wasn't the brand of Notre Dame that was bringing people in in the way that it does for like an LSU or a Georgia. Well, it no, it's the way, was... but it's the way you pitch the brand. Brian Kelly just didn't pitch it well. <laughs> mm. I mean, come on. Also, I don't yeah. know. Also, in terms of anyway, the original point though is that big game losses don't actually dry up the recruiting pool as everybody says it does. Yeah, I feel like a big game loss hurts more if you're at home and you're hosting a bunch of guys. Yeah, like Ohio State was hosting a crazy amount of recruits, right? If they lost, that Mm -hmm. potentially could have hurt. I I would believe that, but Notre Dame, it was it was an away game to start with. It wasn't, you know, a game they were counting on winning or one that they were going to bring recruits to. 
And so I don't think this yeah. hurts mm. them that much from that perspective. Yeah, that's fine. All right, we cover most of the other like little discussion points we're going to talk about in that big discussion. But one last thing I want to ask before we move on in our college football talk is can Notre Dame still make the playoffs at this point? And is Ohio State a shoo-in to make the playoffs at this point in your mind? Can I go first? This is my second big thing. that I, I hate this narrative that Notre Dame doesn't have that many more chances to impress the committee with the implication being that Ohio State does is so ludicrous because we play the same amount of ranked teams and we're playing Clemson, who's it might not be that good, maybe. They did kind of turn it on in the second half, but they're going to be a top-ranked team. We're going to play USC. That might be two conference champions that if we won those games, we would beat two conference champions. We would have the head-to-head as well over them. It's it's just stupid to say. Everybody just assumes for some reason that, oh, yeah, you play in a conference, you're going to be playing tough games every week. No, you don't. It's just not true at all. And it, it That thing really bothers me about the whole conference. Sure, you might say the conference championship is kind of an advantage of playing in, con- in conference play, but... I, I hate the narrative that, oh, you're always playing a tough game each week. No, you're going to play Iowa one week. You're going to play Nebraska mm-hmm. one week. And it's, I don't know, it's just, it's just so, that really frustrates me. So, yes, Notre Dame absolutely can make the playoffs. They have plenty of opportunities to prove whatever they need to prove to the committee. And even then, we haven't really needed to prove anything to the committee in a lot of previous years. We can lose, if we lose to the best team in our ske- uh, schedule, and go 11 and win the other 11 games, we've been right in the hunt pretty much every time that's happened. So Here's uh, the thing, though. Notre Dame has never made the playoffs um, as an independent with an undefeated record. No, as a non-undefeated. The only other... Without an undefeated. Notre Dame made it in 2018 as an undefeated, and it made it in 2020 in a conference. Yeah, so but... So I think that, like... And there was a the, loss there. But we had two losses in every season except last season. Yeah, and didn't right. make it last year. Okay, well, I, I mean, that's just one. That's one day. With one loss, they'd probably yeah. make it. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's true. You that's a hundred percent true. I'm, I'm, Are you kidding I, I would, me? I'd be I'm, shocked. I'm Ohio pretty State strongly in absolute trash. I'd be shocked if yeah. we went eleven and one. Though maybe our schedule falls falls apart and Clemson isn't that good. You know, with DJ and whatnot. Um, and USC turns yeah, out to I mean, not be that good, and BYU even turns out to not be that good. But I would be shocked yeah. if an eleven and one team did not make the playoffs with their one loss being Ohio State. Yeah, and last year we didn't beat. Did we beat any ranked teams? I don't think we did. No, we didn't make the playoff. Yeah, but that, my, well, my point is, is this year we're going to beat three ranked teams yeah. if we go if we go eleven and one. That's fair. We'll see. I don't know. I just think that like there's never been this exact the closest we've come to this exact scenario. Notre Dame has missed the playoff, so I'm like not like so gung ho on uh, the well, shot. Well, but the other times, the other times we missed though because we had another loss. No, 28, 20 last year, twenty twenty one is the closest example we will we'll get. Notre Dame went eleven and one, had one loss to a very no, but good team, we also but the there's also the hypotheticals from the other seasons where if we didn't lose to Miami, for example, in that 2017 year, there's a good chance we would have made it in. We were like three at that. Yeah, time. but we can play like a million hypotheticals, but it's like the closest example we have. Notre Dame was left out. But I think those other examples are close. Is all I'm saying. They're not because there weren't one loss. It's, I mean, but last year's not there's, comparable because we didn't play anybody. So last year's not even really that comparable. If you just want to go off record, but, but it's not off the situation. Yeah, but it's the closest you get, you know? And I think, mm-hmm. 
You're not wrong. Yeah, I just feel like the committee respects Ohio State like so much more than oh, I respect yeah. an undefeated Cincinnati team, which yeah. is not exactly correct. But you see that already in the AP poll. We, I mean, we dropped barely to eight, three places. Yeah, yeah. eighth. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. We'll see. Uh, well, we're gonna move on a little bit with some more college football talk, and we're bringing back. A segment that we, you know, sort of weave in and across lots of different shows. The Blue Collar Something of the Week. And this is the Blue Collar College Football Team of the Week. Uh, we're each going to give one and a little rationale behind it. And I'm first up. I'm going to go with Appalachian State. So first off. What? Appalachian State. Yes. The ultimate yeah, blue collar team. It. It. The ultimate blue collar team. Because they were the first small school to take on the big guy and win. They did it in 2007 against Michigan. That is the bluest collar moment in college football history. Is Appalachian State going in to Ann Arbor and winning that game? So anything they do already is is tinted with that. <laughs> but they didn't stop there. They continue to try and fight the big guy whenever they can, and they almost did it again this weekend when they went up against UNC. Sure, is 63 to 61 the most blue collar football score? No, but. Even if they didn't win and the defense wasn't quite as blue-collar as you expected, they worked hard, they almost took down the big guy, and they have a reputation to uphold, and they did a pretty good job of doing it. So I'm giving Appalachian State the blue-collar team of the week. <laughs> I did, Yeah, I was shocked because it was 63-61, and they threw six passing touchdowns. That's not blue-collar. <laughs> you have such a net review of blue-collar, Jared. I have really a very narrow view. <laughs> I wonder what other okay. what other people's views of blue collar are. Yeah, too. I, I was gonna say my view agrees with Jared's pretty pretty <laughs> well in that case. <laughs> I agree All right, Bart, with, I what's agree your team then? You're next that, up. Oh no, I just agree with Lucas that App State is one of the most blue collar schools out there, and so they get a yeah. boost ahead of time because of that. The the sixty plus yeah. scoring is a little little messy, but they were still heavy <laughs> underdogs in a game against an FCS school. So. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. All right, Bart, you're next up. Yeah, so I'm, I'm picking Southern Miss, who played Liberty and lost as well. So I do think that's – I'll get around to that. Uh, like Jared was saying with, with passing, though, I think this exemplifies blue collar because how many passes did Southern Miss throw this whole game? 13. Oh, how many man. touchdowns did they throw? None. How many interceptions <laughs> did they throw? Three. How many total passing yards did they have? 137. They actually had almost half as many passing yards as they had rushing yards. Frank Gore Jr. literally outran the whole passing game, which I think is super blue-collar. <laughs> of course, the game also went to 4 OT, oh which is also blue-collar, the grit and grind of getting nasty and battling for your life. And then, like I said earlier, they lost, which I think exemplifies just kind of that notion that blue-collar workers are like, you know, beneath the aristocracy in there just to be cannon fodder. So I, I thought that Southern Miss did a good job of exemplifying that mentality this week. All right, that's a yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree more with Bart's definition. I think of blue collar, but that's okay. All right, well, based on that definition, Jared, then that's your operating definition. Tell us who is your blue collar team of the week? The bluest of blue collars I think I've ever seen before. Iowa <laughs> demonstrated a stubborn commitment to an absolute lack of offense in their opener against South Dakota State. I'm sure you already heard about this one. Uh, seven points scored seven points via two safeties and a field goal. That's the bluest collar thing I've ever heard in my life. 
And I loved all the comments that, like, Iowa set the sport back decades in this game <laughs> uh, with, like, 160 to, 166 total yards against an FCS team. Um, there was also this really good stat from Sports Illustrated that since Iowa beat Penn State last year, their quarterback, Spencer Petrus, has thrown one touchdown <laughs> and eight picks. Um, blue collar, you would want to perform nicely. You don't need to throw that many passing touchdowns, but you also – you get the job done if you're a blue-collar team. So Iowa's got some work to do, but a 7-3 win without scoring a touchdown is very blue-collar. There's nothing better than that. Aiden, what was the stat right. we saw? They were, Aiden. they were the first ones since 2000 at least <laughs> to score seven points without a touchdown. Yeah. Wow. Think really incredible. Wow. And the, the dead ball, the live ball era. <laughs> I wish I had baseball. seen the score when it was 5-2 to two or whatever. Uh, that would have been such a joy, yeah. but I missed it. So. Or five three. Or oh, yeah, five three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would. I wish the game had ended four to three. That would that have been would the most awesome yeah. game of all time. That mo- would, would that have been scoregami? I hope. Oh, I hope it would have been. Was it so? I, it never was. Gonna I'm be looking five at three. Then it was four. Was it four it was three? Four. Okay. And then they kicked. I think it was goal four goal. to. Th- I think it was four. That's was crazy. Four. That's even crazier. <laughs> yeah. College football's whole. There's never been a four-three NFL game. Yeah, but okay. yeah, that's what I was gonna say. College football is definitely yeah, yeah. built a little bit different. Too many teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> yeah. All right, and in your last up, who is your blue-collar team of the week? Okay, I'm going with Old Dominion. I do realize <laughs> that the Old Dominion mascot is the Monarchs, so Ooh. it's not the most blue-collar mascot <laughs> that one could choose. Not the color <laughs> but, at all. But they still, they beat Virginia Tech 20-17, to 17, really spoiling the debut of uh, new coach Brent Pry, who came from uh, Penn State defensive uh-huh. coordinator. And Old Dominion won despite their QB going 14 for 35. That's a, that's a blue-collar <laughs> stat line right there. Um, <laughs> and their rushing attack, mm-hmm. which again, <laughs> one would expect the rushing attack to be, to be good in this scenario, but they averaged 2.4 yards per carry. So yeah. nothing was going on on offense, but they still managed to score 20 points. They forced five turnovers, including four interceptions. So I think they've earned a blue-collar win here. Uh, and, you know, an extra of their fans stormed the field after the win. So that's, you know, they were, they were excited. They were the underdogs. And they yeah. showed the man that day. What was up? And enjoyed the Thank win you. with the people. Thank you for your definition of blue-collar as well. <laughs> Aiden, I think we're in agreement on it. Our alignment. We're, Bart and I are not misaligned, though, with our definition. <laughs> with Aiden. No, but you're incorrect. So, okay. you know. Or, or, and you're whereas in, you're I not, not you're incorrect. Not, <laughs> not all of us, Jared, have the luxury of picking a two safety. Or how many? Yeah, two safeties in yeah, that game. <laughs> Seven to three games. Hey, I, I jumped yeah, on it. Somebody just had to claim Iowa <laughs> I first. <laughs> well, next up, we're bringing back a fan favorite segment. Thursday Night Football. The NFL is back, and guess what, everybody? We have a special guest who has come back for the latter half of this episode to make his special guest pick. It's normal member of the podcast, Wyatt, and he'll be on the rest of the shows this week, too. So don't miss him too much. Uh, to keep so we'll dramatic. start with... Exactly. He had to make it. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to pick the NFL kickoff game this week for Thursday Night Football. The Bills and the Rams are playing. Uh, Wyatt, since you are here, we will start with you. Give us your prediction for Rams-Bills this week. Look, when we were doing the power rankings, I said the Bills were number one. But it's weird. They're two and a half favorite over on the Rams right now. And they're 
at Rams against the defending Super Bowl champion in the in the stadium that they won it in. It'd be really, really, really hard for me to pick against the Rams. This is going to contradict myself from a couple weeks ago. I'm going to go with Rams. Things be a good game. I'm. Gonna, it's going to be twenty-seven to twenty-four. Rams. Mm. Mm. Oh. All right. I'm next up, and I agree with a lot of Wyatt's logic. Um, I think it's going to be a relatively high-scoring game, but again, the Rams are the Super Bowl champions. They're in their home stadium. They've maintained most of their core. I realize, again, like Wyatt said, the Bills are the favorites this year, but they have a lot to prove if for them to pick me for me to pick them over the Rams. Just because, like, yes, there's the hype, but I need to see them put it into action like the Rams did last year. So I'm also sticking with the Rams, 35-31. to 31. Bart, you're up. We're all going to be in the same ballpark here. I also am going to take the Rams. I will say I was agonizing over this. I was prepared to ask somebody to do like the Google coin flip thing for me <laughs> uh, so to tell me who to pick. But no, I think I'm going to go with the Rams because I, I saw some stats that compelled me, basically. McVay is 5-0 and in his openers. Super Bowl winners in the past 12 years apparently are 11-1 and in their season openers. And then the Rams are at home. I think the most important thing to me, though, actually, is that Tredavious White is out. Bills are starting a, a rookie at corner, if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. I have a feeling Stafford's arm is apparently doing okay. I have a feeling that Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson are going to cook. So I'm, I'm taking the Rams 31-24. Solid. Jared, you're up. I will be the first one to disagree. Um, I'm going Bills. Kind of same ballpark on the score, though, 31-28 Bills. I am worried about Stafford's elbow problems, and I think the Rams actually definitely lost more than the Bills did. I think the Bills got better, and it's two good offenses, so it should make for a fun game. I think this is Josh Allen's uh, year, though, so I'm going to go Bills, 31-28. Oh. Aiden, take us home. Yeah, I'm pretty surprised that more people pick the Rams. I, I thought my pick was going to be unpopular, but I also have the Rams, so we're going 4 or 5 Rams. I think it's LA. Everyone's going to be hyped after the Super Bowl. As Bart mentioned, Sean McVay is very good in season openers, 5-0. and The Rams as a whole are randomly good for a team that you know hasn't been consistently good until the last you know five or six years, but they've gone 19-3 and since week one, for week one games since 2000, which is Ooh, that's pretty good. So I don't think they're going to have a Super Bowl hangover moment in game one. And they also have bulletin board material and the fact that they're currently underdogs, as we've alluded to earlier. Uh, with that said, I do expect the Bills to be better this year on the whole. Even if I expect the Rams to take this one, my score prediction is 28-27. Ooh, close. We all think it's close. Mm-hmm. Well, good. That means I'll start off 1-0, and and you guys will all start off 0-1. <laughs> If you, the listeners, want to start off the week with a win, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Give us a follow as well on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at lunchpailguys underscore. And join us later this week, probably after the Thursday night game, uh, to hear us talk a little bit more college football and some, some basketball news.